This is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm tuned in to the new TNN. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Johnny C, and welcome to the new TNN for what I hope is the first of a new tradition. We're calling it Junk Man. And no, I promise it's not a show about my junk. And obvious jokes aside, thank you so much for coming here to the new TNN. It's a new show, like I say. Uh, we're calling it Junk Man. Why? Well, because it's yet the name of another Mega Man Robot Master that we can siphon for our own evil, diabolical purposes. But it's it's something that I've wanted to do for some time. You know, there are so many films out there in the world. Some of them are works of art. Some of them are fun popcorn entertainment. Others are just junk. I mean, pretty much writes itself, right? But what I want to do here on Junk Man is watch some movies. I want to watch some movies that I'm pretty sure are going to be junk. And then just have some fun at their expense, hopefully. But maybe at the end of the day, reveal to everyone out there in listener land, I don't know, was it junk? We'll see. So if that sounds like fun, I mean, let's not waste any time. So I, I, I thought to myself, how could I possibly make an impact in the bad movie space? I mean... There are so many fantastic shows and programs out there that literally do the exact same thing. Do you really want one more? And I thought, well, maybe I can find some sort of niche aspect that'll draw in listeners and grab their attention. They'll think I'm funny and they'll come back even if the next episode doesn't fit that niche requirement. And with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, I've selected Countdown from 2016. Now, if you haven't heard of this movie, don't worry. That just means you're fucking normal. I, to tell you the truth, had completely forgotten about it as well. Uh, But then something happened to me. I was looking at films that were produced by a legendary film studio known only as WWE Films. And folks, we've landed on Countdown. Now, Countdown also goes in some territories by an alternate title, 642. That's also the time of day that I've got to give my cat its Metamucil so it shits on a regular basis. And once there was brand synergy established there, I thought, oh my god, let's absolutely fucking do this. But Countdown isn't like your See No Evils or your Marines. Countdown is one of these movies that they made that's easily forgettable. And I'm not saying that like See No Evil or The Marine are some sort of legendary film uh, masterpieces. But they at least carry some name cachet. Countdown is directed by a gentleman named John Stockwell. Now, John Stockwell is known for nothing, but he's got a lot of credits to his name, including including an acting uh, credit for participating in the film Eddie and the Cruisers. Now, if you listened to our episode of Top Man about 1989 in cinema, you know all about my rivalry with the Eddie and the Cruisers film franchise. Well, here is further proof that the first film does indeed exist. The fucking guy that directed this movie was in it. But he did direct some movies that you may have heard of or you may have seen in the dollar bin at your local Walmart. Into the Blue, a film starring Jessica Alba and the late great question mark Paul Walker. Blue Crush, a film about surfing. 
And, you know, now that I'm thinking about Into the Blue, I'm pretty sure Jessica Alba's in a bikini on the cover there, so we've got a lot of water-related films, which I guess makes it appropriate for me, as my name is Johnny C. But the film that I most recognize on this list is a film called Crazy Beautiful that starred Kirsten Dunst with a haircut that I never quite agreed with. And that's okay. I don't have to agree with it, and she doesn't have to agree with me not agreeing with it. It doesn't determine her self-worth, my approving of her haircut. But it's the one that stands out to me because of her fucking haircut. So what are you going to do? Now, I don't necessarily think that John Stockwell is an auteur here, but I'm definitely feeling shoestring budgets or lower budgets, so maybe he's the perfect guy to get in here and tackle a unique brand of World Rossling Entertainment Films uh, film, if you will. Now, the film stars Catherine Isabel. I know her best from Freddy vs. Jason. She plays the girl that smokes, that wears the hat, whose boyfriend's like, oh, babe, why are you kissing me after you smoke your cigarettes? Like, who are you to turn this girl down? Okay, cocky jock guy. But, uh, you know, she's in Freddy vs. Jason. She gets killed. Uh, she's also in See No Evil 2, so a veteran of the WWE film's uh, roster of actors. Now, she also appears in the Ginger Snaps film series. I'm not familiar with Ginger Snaps. I'm not throwing shade at it. Okay, it's my understanding it has quite a bit of a following. I'm just not familiar with it, but chances are that's probably what you know her from if you know her by name. The film also stars the mayor of Knox County himself, Mr. Glenn Jacobs, credited as Kane. So that's something to look forward to. But we need a superstar to really carry this picture. And WWE goes through their roster of uniquely talented individual superstars, and we land on everyone's favorite uh, Amy Schumacher fucker, Mr. Dolph Ziggler. He's here to show the world. He's here to show the world. Come on! Oh, man, I fucking hate this guy so much. And, And when I saw that Dolph was starring in this thing... I thought, oh, this is perfect. Now, before you go and start saying, well, of course you hate Dolph Ziggler, Johnny C., look at him. He's cut out of granite, and he uh, he's a handsome dude, you know? And it's like, yeah, well, you know, aside from that. And first of all, that's not a reason to hate someone, okay? Goodness, no. I just find him so annoying. Now you might say, well, Johnny, he's the show-off. You're supposed to find him annoying. And it's like, no, I just find everything about him annoying. Baby face, heel, uh, the fact that he's ever been on my TV screen. I'm just not a fan of it. So... I figured this is going to be a perfect film. And then I was thinking about the fact that it's called Countdown. It makes it such a memorable, forgettable film. I mean, there's something about being a bad movie. you got to have a title that really grabs someone. You know what I mean? Like that really makes an impact in the space and really stands out uh, on the uh, DVD shelf back when you used to go rent these things or in the, on the streaming services. You're swiping with your finger. You know, how many fucking low-budget like Pierce Brosnan or... Christopher Lambert movies are there named Countdown 2. I mean, just seriously think about it. Like, give your title some flash and panache, okay? Now, a little synopsis here, because much like yourself, I didn't know what the fuck this movie was about before I watched it, and then we'll sort of go through the movie and uh, find some interesting talking points. WWE superstars. You know what? I've just decided I want to read this as Todd Pettengale. (laughs) In your house mania. (laughs) All right, here we go. WWE superstars Dolph Ziggler and Kane lead the action in this electrifying and heart-pounding thriller. When a madman kidnaps a young boy and rigs him with explosives, Ray, Dolph Ziggler, haunted by the loss of his young son, defies his captain, K. 
cocaine and takes matters into his own hands. Now he must beat the clock to stop a psychopath and save an innocent child. Well, right there, there's something to love about Dolphy Z. He's here to protect a kidster. I think that's something we could all get behind. But it sounds like this tough-as-dale's uh, cop has a past, and I bet he doesn't like to play by the rules. Hmm. Now, I streamed this film on Tubi for free 99 That was another key motivator in deciding to use this film as my launch pad. Well, not really. I mean, I would have paid for it if I had to. But, you know, I don't like to rent movies, so I would have had to buy it, and then I would have hated the fact that I own a film in my library starring Dolph Ziggler. But right from the get-go, the WWE Studios logo plays, and I will admit the fanfare that plays with it isn't quite bad. It's nothing memorable. It's not 20th Century Fox or DreamWorks or even that fucking MGM Lion's Roar or anything like that. And the logo, like the the top W spins, and it's the sharp logo. Like it's not the old school scratch one. It's the sharp pointed one that they use now. It's it's not bad. I've seen worse. I've seen worse recently. The Blumhouse logo springs to mind. But it, 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 it's a logo that carries a little bit of prestige with it until it says WWE Films. Now, I'm a lifelong wrestling fan. I'm not a self-hating wrestling fan, but I don't know. Like, why WWE Films? Sometimes brand synergy isn't a good thing. You know, I guess it's better than entertainment-based film studio. I, I just don't understand. Heart, heart-pounding weekly television episodic studios. I mean, there's worse they could do, I guess. But in your house films. Okay, now we're just being stupid, but I don't know. Uh, needless to say, though, this logo writes a check. The film can't cash. So it opens up with some location shots of like a port town and people working, you know, getting going through that 9 to 5 grind. Some people are spray painting, some people are are making some boats and things like that. But one of the biggest sins is right from the get-go, we get some fast motion audience moving. So, like there are these wide shots of crowds of people walking in like a park and you know, we get the quick elapse of time filter put on this thing, so it's like Two hours go past and people come and go, but it's all in fast. It just reeks of cheapness. I can't really quantify or qualify that, but I really hate that fucking film technique. It drives me bonkers. But it is a nice-looking location. It turns out it's either Seattle or Vancouver. I think this movie takes place in or took place in Seattle, but they filmed it in Seattle and Vancouver. But, you know, I'm getting a port town veal from this thing, and I love Seattle. I think it's a great place to spend some time. So they get me right there. The countdown logo flashes across the screen. Could it be more generic? Um, you know, we, we're following this long-haired Russian guy. I know because the subtitles tell me he's speaking Russian. His name's Nikolai, and he's a typical scumbag dude. He's like on a cell phone. He's yelling at everybody at his dockyard. He's yelling at the secretaries. He's just, you know, he's a general all-around asshole, I'm sure, He's one of the bad guys. I mean, obviously. His name's Nikolai. He's speaking Russian. And he's in a WWE action film. I mean, he might as well just have a t-shirt on that says, bad guy. All right? Uh, He gets to his office. Uh, He's taking a look at things on the closed-circuit TV. And he sees a couple of roughnecks get out of a car. And, you know, come to visit his office place. You know, where I'm sure he's using this uh, boat-making scheme as a front for some illegal, I'm assuming at the time, drug-related activities. Now, the two young roughnecks that get out of the car are clear as day 
undercover cops. Now, sure, one of them is Dolph Ziggler, and we know he's a cop. Uh, the other guy kind of looks like a bald, out-of-shape, heartbreak kid, bald BK, if you will. Uh, but yeah, it just reeks of this is an undercover scenario. It's the same shit you've seen in every uh, action movie ever made in the history of our sport. Uh, but for some reason, I find it somewhat enduring because they're not quite smart enough to do something outside the box. So I kind of feel like they know that they might be junk or they think they're somehow polishing up a turd. Not quite sure. Nikolai, of course, confronts these guys. He's like, are you a cop? I know you're cops. Like, Nikolai's one of those bad guys who just thinks everybody's a cop. He also looks like he's wearing some, some thick-ass lipstick. He kind of looks like Audrey Two, the plant from Little Shop of Horrors, mixed with the Joker, mixed with, like, uh, the dude from The Dark Knight that has the dogs, who's like, I want to see how hungry a loyal dog is. So I think the Joker actually says that, but you know the guy. Uh... At any moment, I'm expecting Nikolai to be like, what are you doing on the Russian space station? But this guy doesn't carry himself the way a Peter Storm mayor from Armageddon quite would. Um, you know, of course, Ziggler's like, what are you talking about, man? I'm not a cop. I'm not a cop, man. I'm just here to do some business. I just came here to do some business, man. Uh, how about some more vague business talk, you know, in front of all these people? Um, this goes back and forth until Comrade Beard... Because Nikolai's got a... Of course, he's got a, he's got a henchman here with him. Uh, he kind of looks like... A Russian Luke Harper? I don't say that to be disrespectful to the man's legacy. It's just those are the vibes I get to the point where I was like, wow, is this Luke Harper? You know, because they're hiring wrestlers. Ziggler headbutts the dude. So right away, I'm not thinking this guy's a cop. I'm thinking he's some sort of a unique brand of a sports entertainer, if you will. But this just, of course, makes Nikolai think, you cops. What are you guys coming in here? You cops. Now, Ziggler, I'll give him a lot of credit. He pulls the typical undercover cop move of shooting his partner point-blank in the chest with a gun to prove he's not a cop. Now, this, of course, reeks of the guy coming back later and being like, Why'd you shoot me, man? And Ziggler being like, Because I don't play by the rules. I'm a cop. I don't know if you know this, man, but I'm a cop. Look at my long hair and my five o'clock shadow. I don't play by the rules. But, of course, this makes Nikolai be like, Oh, okay, I guess you're not a cop. Now, Nikolai... Big mistake here. Takes Dolph Ziggler back to his warehouse where he sells all the shit. But I'll give Nikolai a little bit of credit. He's still kind of talking shit to Dolph like, well, you know, if you were a cop, you probably would have shot him in the chest. Why don't you shoot him in the head? And Ziggler, to his credit, is like, Jesus Christ, man. I just shot this guy and fucking killed him to prove I was a cop. What more do you want from me? Can we just fucking, can you just sell me whatever illegal shit you have so I can go about my business? I just committed homicide in front of you and fucking Luke Harper Beard and everybody else. So come on, cut me some fucking slack. Nikolai is like, oh, okay, I, I guess I sell you some guns. So it's guns that we're here to get in an undercover nature. Of course, Nikolai shows Dolph his gun collection, all the, the product that he's been moving here on the streets of Seattle. Ziggler, of course, because he's a cop, is like, oh, Russian 64, Russian hand cannon, yeah, Uzi, Uzi 9mm, 223M with a K-grip, it's a G6 36 rifle, oh yeah! If there's ever been a WWE superstar that reeks of not knowing anything about guns, it's absolutely Dolph fucking Ziggler. Uh, but because Ziggler, or Ray, I refuse to call him by his cop name, Ray. I'm just going to call him Dolph the whole rest of the episode, so get used to it. He's like, you know, Dolph Ziggler, I, I offer you a job. You know your guns. Dolph retaliates with a great, I don't play by the rules, cop retort. Because, you know, you, we kind of faintly hear some sirens in the background, so he's getting a little cocky. Uh, he says, I already got a job. Nikolai replies, yes, but mine pays better. Dolph gets a serious face. He's like, 
I believe that. But every once in a while, I get to stick my foot up some KGB wannabe cheeseball Russian gangster's ass. Nothing's better. Nothing's better than seeing the jaw drop on some communicable disease like you when he realizes he's been had like a $3 hooker. Of course, all the cops pull up now. Nikolai's like, oh shit, you're a cop even though you killed that guy. Man, you're a crazy cop. Don't play by rules. Um, so yeah, it's not even a good reveal of like, because we all know Dolph's a cop, and the, the police cars just show up and Nikolai's like automatically cucked. He puts his arms up like, okay, I surrender. And, and you know, they get out and politely handcuff him, and Dolph's just like, yeah, I'm getting some guns off the street. Of course, bald HBK returns, and he's like, hey, what are you doing shooting me in the chest, man? You could have killed me. And Dolph's like, don't worry, I shot you with a 22, and you're wearing a 16 millimeter thick bulletproof vest, man. Uh, it can't miss, man. I know everything about guns, man. Uh, of course, bald HBK punches Dolph Ziggler in the face. I mean, we knew this was going to happen. I, I clearly predicted it. Uh, he's like, the, the bald cop's like, you know, you should be back in the van with Nikolai, man. you got to screw loose. Dolph says to no one, because bald HBK leaves. He's like, well, looks like I'm working alone again. Smash cut to the police station, where a sexy lady is walking into the police station. And just a side note on this police station. Now, yes, beautiful Vancouver or Seattle actually houses this building. And I'm not throwing shade at the building, but the building is way too fancy to be a fucking police station. I mean, this is the exact same thing that Last Action Hero was making fun of. And that's like 1993, man. So maybe just get a different location. Like, all I need is a municipal-looking office building. This building looks like it's from the future. It was made out of Tetris blocks. I don't know any other way to describe it. I mean, it's pretty cool. But like I said, it's just it just reeks of location scouting. Oh, man, this looks like a sweet building to make a movie. What if it's like the police officer's, like, lair? Uh, you mean the police station? Yeah, man. Let me get Kevin. What? What do you? What sort of? What sort of film lens should we use? Hey, uh, step away, director. This is Kevin Nash. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the director of photography here. Let me just, let me just square this up. What are you shooting in four three? Yeah. Why don't you get a one eight five IMAX lens in here? What? This shit's too expensive. All right, Dolph. They need you. I think we're going to use a 2-3. Yeah. All right. So, I don't know. It's just... It's too nice looking to be in this movie, I guess, is the overall general thesis of my shtick. But uh, the sexy lady that's walking into the way-too-futuristic building is indeed the aforementioned Catherine Isabel playing Julia. Now, as she's walking in, this poor fucking woman can't even walk into the building without immediately being sexually harassed because bald HBK... Must be feeling better. He's like, do you ever smile, Lieutenant? She says nothing, of course. And he's just like, bitch. Uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, through paper clips and whiteout, it's Kane. Kane is indeed playing a gentleman named Lieutenant Cronin. Uh, he's dressed in a ham and agar police uniform. You know, just like a regular street cop. It looks like it just came from a Halloween shop. And he's sort of the captain that doesn't get along with Detective Dolph? I mean, this is just ridiculous. How were they not placed together as a mismatched tag team to help promote this film? Um, but I have a feeling. I have a feeling that him and Dolph, by the end of this movie, will perhaps become best buddies that get along? Eh, 
Maybe not. But Kane's basically reading off a laundry list of all the shit that Dolph has done wrong in his tenure as a policeman. Discharging a firearm in the direction of a police officer. No, that's wrong. I didn't shoot in his direction. I shot him in the chest. Kane is base. He basically says, Ray, I've done my best to ignore you. Which explains my relationship with Dolph Ziggler. But you've got six partners in two years, loads of complaints. Why are you still here, Dolph Ziggler? Now, <laughs> we're cross-cutting this with Julia, getting out of an elevator, getting eyed like she's a fucking steak by a bunch of cops. This movie is staunchly anti-cop from the way that it's, uh, sh- from what it's showing us, in my opinion. Now, as she's walking to the office where Kane and Dolph are talking, she stealthily takes a hit of her inhaler. Like she's embarrassed to have asthma? A very strange character choice. She walks in. Dolph, of course, eyes her and is like, Ladies. I mean, because come on, look at Dolph. He's got a man bun. He's sexy. This chick's quote-unquote sexy according to the movie. So, I don't know. He's like, well, 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 if it isn't the dream crusher. So, right away, she's already got a professional wrestling name. So, let's add her to the stable. Apparently... Big shocker. I mean, did anyone not see this coming? Who do you think she works for? That's right. She's internal affairs. Uh, She's reading off some more of the laundry list out of Dolph's bad cop file. Dolph's response? Perfect maverick cop. You're cute. (laughs) She's like, thanks. You're cute too. DUI mugshot cute. Which, honestly, looking at Dolph with this man bun here. It's pretty pitch perfect, uh, you know. I don't know if she wrote her own dialogue, but this this line in particular should be commended. He stands up to leave, like I'm a maverick cop. I don't got to put up with this. Kane literally walks over to him and puts his arms on his shoulders to sit him back down, like there's a big boy. Go ahead and sit down. Long story short, give me your badge and your gun. You're being suspended with pay, mind you, until we review you for termination. Uh, Dolph's like, come on, Stan, you're going to let her do this? And I just love that Kane's name is Stan. So the next time he gets angry, we can be like, but Stan, why are you so mad? Try to understand. I do want you as my police captain. Uh, before Dolph leaves, he makes sure to steal some files off of his computer with a thumb drive. Okay, Maverick Cop 101, I suppose. He's also got a lot of unopened envelopes at his desk. Um, before he leaves, he takes one down to the crime lab. And he flirts with this analyst. And he's like, hey, I got one more envelope for you on the way out. She's like, well, gosh, it's just like the other ones you've gotten this year. No prints, no DNA, no way to identify who it's from. And it's the same old thing. A demand for $2,106,012.35. Because you got to have the bus fare, after all. Because after you get this ridiculous sum of ransom money you've wanted for the last year, you got to have enough money to pay for the bus so you can get away. So those 35 cents are important. But this is all sort of just talked about briefly. Obviously, it's the entire point of the film. But it's like he's been getting these threats for a year and done nothing about it. But hey, on the way out, you might as well. Um, we then meet a woman who's coming home to a house that looks way too nice to have been purchased with a cop's salary. She's on the phone saying vague things like, yeah, well, today was better. It gets a little bit easier every day. Uh, She sees a couple of empty beer bottles, and she's like, well, Dolph must be home. She goes up to, like, a kid's bedroom, and Dolph is there reading a bedtime story out loud. 
And we get some broke-ass Dawson's Creek music in the background. It's like, you're broken, wide open, while you said, Dolph Ziggler, you used to be a dad, and now you're not, because your kid's dead. So, she's like, Dolph, dude, you can't keep coming here. So we could add breaking and entering to the maverick cop shit that Dolph is doing. Uh, but ostensibly, you know, she sits down on the bed next to him and holds his hand, and she's like, you know, it hurts for me, too. So we've got some sort of dead kid, broken relationship scenario. And look, that's sad, like it is. But at the same time, I'm not sure that Dolph is ready to carry that sort of load here in his first performance. Flip side of that argument, though, he's doing asshole cop pretty well. So as long as he just stays outside the middle and just sticks with very broad stereotypes like angry cop, maverick cop, Sad dad. We might just be okay here. As long as you don't try to add too many layers to Ray, Dolph Ziggler will be just fine. Uh, But apparently he pulls a Jack Slater and just sleeps in his dead kid's bed. Uh, But he gets a a text from Kane early the next morning that says, Get over here! (laughs) All right, Kane, I will do that. We cut to police headquarters where we're in some sort of... uh, digital boardroom, I guess. There's, like, screens and shit everywhere, and a whole bunch of cops are sitting there in their suits. Uh, But, strangely, Kane and Dolph Ziggler are both just wearing gray t-shirts. Now, I understand that Dolph literally is, like, hungover uh, from a terrible night sleeping at his dead kid's bed, uh, and he's just in his bed clothes. But, am I supposed to... Is it supposed to be inferred that, like, Kane got drug out of bed as well? Uh, Because we learned that there's a ticking clock in this movie, and... It takes place at noon is when we're supposed to, like, get get things going. So is this supposed to be, like, 5 in the morning? I just got woke up out of bed. But everybody else is sharply dressed. Also, perfect note here. This, this describes everything you need to know about the personal lives of Glenn Jacobs and Nick Nemeth, or Nemeth, or whatever the fuck Dolph Ziggler's real name is. Gray is a uh, gray. Uh, Kane is wearing a gray crew neck t-shirt. Dolph is wearing a gray V-neck t-shirt, okay? Kane is dad mowing the yard. Dolph is here to show the world that he's a sexy boy, all right? And that's fine. Hey, Dolph, rock it, man. I'd rock the V, too, if I were you. It's totally okay. Uh, But during this meeting at police headquarters, the camera is zooming in a lot as people are starting to deliver their lines of dialogue. So, like, this cop might say something like, we got another letter, and the camera zooms in on them really quickly. And that's what shows that make fun of cop shows do, like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So perhaps director John Stockwell should stop watching cop parodies for inspiration and start filming this scene like it's a bit more important. I I don't know, though. It It is what it is. I'm not the director. John Stockwell is the director. Ostensibly, the whole point of this is that uh, the Riddler, or the crazy package guy from earlier, has now sent in a video. But they cannot access the video because there's a password blocking it. Uh, They're like, we need a five-digit password. What is it, Dolph? And Dolph's like, I don't know. My address? It's not the address. Luckily, thank God, the second thing he guesses is Mikey. My dead kid's name. Because, you know, I mean, why not? But it's just... And I don't want... Please, understand, I don't want minutes of of heart-pounding, pulsating action of can we guess the password, but I don't know. Maybe try two things and then the third one's it. That sounds like a more magic number. But here they are messing with my expectations and having the second guess be the correct one, so maybe I'm not the film writer. 
But uh, the password works. We see some live video, and it's a kidster. He's got tape over his mouth. He's clearly in some sort of a kidnap scenario. Now, the Riddler starts talking, but he's Russian, and his voice is distorted like he's the Black Scorpion. So I guess we're dealing with the Russian Black Scorpion. And he's like, I want my money. I want my $2,106,012.35, and I want it brought to me today by noon at the Coliseum. All you have to do, Dolph Ziggler, is go to Coliseum, tell them your name, I bought you a ticket, and then we exchange, I get money, and you get to watch the show at the Coliseum. Ladies and gentlemen, I, we'll, we'll get there. Just, just hold on. We'll get there. I didn't know what the Coliseum had to do with this film. I stayed in the dark until I watched it, and I'm so glad that I did. But uh, then we smash cut to the same beaded room, and the camera is still tracking and moving quickly around people that are talking. It's like people are typing at computers and the camera's moving from left to right as they're typing. Like, the bomb squad's saying it's got a five-switch analysis table. Stat! You know, and it's just like, oh my god, please kill me. Please kill me with this fucking shit. Uh, But ostensibly, we learned that the bomb can be activated with a cell phone from basically anywhere. Now, we then cut to the kidster and fucking Russian Black Scorpion, who kind of looks like a, a, like a, a skinnier version of General Zod. So, so much for the mystery. I mean, I don't know this guy's motives at this point in time. I'm assuming it's something to do with Nikolai, who we met in scene one, because if it's not some sort of revenge narrative, which I guess wouldn't make sense because he just arrested Nikolai yesterday and this guy's been sending him letters for a year, so even my joke thesis is out the window, but what are they saying here about all these Russian people in Seattle that are evil? Because every villain we've met is just Russian. I mean, I'm not Russian. The Russians don't, innocent Russian people don't need me to defend them, but I don't know. It's kind of like 80s when all bad guys from Afghanistan, now all bad guys from Russia. I mean, what is Countdown really trying to say about the relationship between the United States and the former Soviet Union? We then cut to the Coliseum. Oh my God in heaven. We see footage of a very unique brand of weekly sports-based entertainment being produced. In English, they're putting together a ring for the World Wrestling Entertainment. This movie takes place in the Coliseum with a unique brand of World Wrestling Entertainment action taking place in the background. We see the Usos, Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan, Mark Henry, John Moxley's doing push-ups. The Big Show's doing some resistance bands that comically snap and he spikes the camera like, it's a living. I mean... Randy Orton's here for brief moments. I mean, none of these guys are getting credits, so, you know, this is just sort of a cameo job, but oh my god, I am so fucking happy that I picked this movie because the WWE is happening. Oh, yes. Uh, So we cut to the, like, police van where they're wiring up uh, Dolph outside the Coliseum. You know, they're wiring him up, miking him up. They're like, okay, you need to go in there and talk to the guy. Dolph, of course, just wants to kick down the door and shoot this fucker in the head. Like, why don't I just kill this guy? Kane's like, you really want that paper in the... You want that in the newspaper, Dolph? Kid gets killed, bad guy shot, cop goes maverick. And Dolph's like, I don't know, I'm pretty much okay with that. Uh, But needless to say, uh, it's a sticky situation. For some reason, as Dolph's getting suited up here, uh, Julia, the internal affairs agent, and Bald Heartbreak Kid are also here? Well, I guess it would make sense that Julia would be here because Dolph Dolph was asked for by name, so he's a part of this case, and Julia, of course, is investigating the case. Bald Heartbreak, recovering nicely from that flesh wound that he got, he's, uh, he's bringing in the bag of money. And Bald Heartbreak 
is sort of like, you know, we got the money, but what's with the $112.35? Smash cut to Kane looking away from the camera while there's an ominous music sting like bong. He's looking away like someone just said May 19th. I mean, seriously, what what's Kane thinking about here? What's Kane worried about or what's Kane trying to hide? We then cut to Dolph's body cam. During this whole next sequence, every once in a while, we cut to like Dolph's POV shot. He walks up to the ticket window to, to get his ticket. And it reminds me of the opening video to the Great American Bash 91 where the dude's like, I'd like to get a ticket to the bash. Great, here, thanks. And he runs into the arena. It's pathetic. The fucking extras in this scene, standing behind Dolph, like they filmed this at an actual WWE house show. And I know these extras are not professional actors, but try as hard as they might. Every single one of them is staring at Dolph Ziggler, being like, oh my God, it's Dolph Ziggler. They're trying hard not to. But they're tried so hard that it becomes painfully obvious. In the arena, I hear the New Day's music, and suddenly we smash cut to Big E, Kofi, and Xavier doing their clap down to the ring, uh, clearly at a house show setup. Like, it's actual, like, WWE footage being filmed at a house show. Dolph enters the arena, like, to go to his seat, and all the lights in the arena are on. When the New Day was coming out, folks, all the lights were down and there was just a spotlight on the New Day. Take into consideration that over Dolph's shoulder, I could see the entrance. I could see the ring. There's no one in it, but I still hear the ring announcer. Come on, man. This is my first time watching this movie and I'm catching this botchtastic shit. Normally, it takes a couple of watches for me to notice this stuff, but... I don't know. It just stands out right away. Doing on-location shit like this with a crowd, even in big-budget movies, when they're at like a football game, it always stands out to me. I'm always, even if the crowd's just blurry in the frame, in the background, I can still look at it and see empty seats. So this happens to big-budget stuff all the time, but still, I hate it. I hate when people do this shit. Just take that extra step to make sure your frame is full of actual people or to make sure there's continuity between shots. Dolph gets to his designated ticket seat, and there's a there's some crazy uh, WWE fan that looks like he hosts a WWE podcast. Hey, wait a minute. Sitting in Dolph's chair. Dolph's like, hey, man, you're in my seat. And this guy throws his hands up in the air like Dolph is the asshole. Why do people do that? I can't stand it. And I don't understand, like, especially at the movie theater, like, I've gone to a movie recently and had to be like, hey, this is this is my seat. Like, this is the seat that I selected online. Like, you can't do that shit. We're picking seats online now. You can't just pick one. What is wrong with people? Do they like this awkward moment where you have to kick them out of your chair? I mean, I have no problem kicking people out, but I don't understand when they act like I'm the one with the problem. And that's exactly what this guy's doing. So this guy gets up and walks away. Dolph's like, hey, dude, you left your phone. The guy is almost out of earshot, but he's like, it's not mine. Smash cut to the phone. There is a cell phone on this chair directly where dude was sitting. Like, if that guy was actually sitting in this chair with this phone, it would have been up his asshole. I don't know. I just find it interesting. Dude didn't notice he was sitting in the wrong seat and sitting on a cell phone. Oh, by the way, here come the Viking Raiders to take on the new day. 
Uh, Dolph gets a text on the phone that's like, hey, you brought cops. What the fuck? Dolph has a fucking cop microphone on his collar, so he does the thing where he's talking to his collar. He's like, hey, Johnson, your cover's blown. Johnson's like, damn, I'm out of here. And Johnson, or the cop, whatever his name is, stands up and walks out of the arena, and you see that the dude was sitting right next to Dolph. Hey, dude, you blew your cover. Okay, I should probably go. Like, it's... I can't even do it justice. It's fucking... But we're really getting into so bad, I'm loving it. And that's that's what's worrying me about this whole thing. I'm really starting to enjoy how poorly put together this thing is, and I'm having a good time. Uh, Dolph is ordered to take the bag to ringside. Out come the Luta Dragons. Um, Dolph does that, leaves the bag, walks away. The Russian dude, or the Russian scorpion, is here. He grabs the bag and takes it to the bathroom. Kane tells Dolph Ziggler not to follow this dude into the bathroom. And sure enough, the Russian guy swaps out the bag with the GPS in it and the money and puts the money in a bag that doesn't have the GPS. I'm covering a lot of ground here with that one sentence, but it should be noted that every time we're in the causeway of the arena or in the arena, I see so many WWE shirts. It's driving me bonkers because it's an infomercial for WWE. And I'm like, wow, it's actually kind of genius, though. But it's also kind of taking me out of it. It's weird. I don't know. Kane's like, why isn't the bag moving? Julia's like, wait a minute. Bag's not moving. Guy's moving. Bag's not moving. Bag's not moving. Guy's moving. He switched the bags, Kane. And Kane's like, he switched the bags. <laughs> Takes him a little too long to figure this out. Uh, now Dolph's in hot pursuit. And ladies and gentlemen, the Russian scorpion ain't getting out of this one because now he's a cop killer. A cop tries to stop him and he just kills this fucker point blank. But you see, Dolph Ziggler, as we've mentioned, is a maverick cop. So he runs up to the to the cop that just got shot. And he's like, officer down, send a medic. He steals this cop's gun and just continues pursuit. Like, fuck this guy. CPR is clearly not going to do anything. I probably shouldn't cover the wound or try to stop him from bleeding out. Ah, they'll get here quick enough. There's a big chase scene. And fuck me sideways. The Russian dude just ran to the backstage area and has committed an even greater sin than killing a cop. He shoots a World Wrestling Entertainment employee who was just trying to keep him out of the backstage, and this guy is dead on arrival. Dolph continues the pursuit. The evil Russian guy runs right past WWE superstar Rusev, who's just lifting some free weights, as Rusev is to do. But the Russian dude doesn't have his gun drawn. And then Dolph runs by with a gun, and I'll give, you know, Rusev uh, the benefit of the doubt. He sees a dude with a gun, and he's a World Wrestling Entertainment superstar. He just fucking pounces him like he's Monty Brown. So Rusev has now attacked Dolph Ziggler. Dolph crushes into the wall of this arena, and Rusev hit him with so much power, you see, because he's a WWE superstar, that pieces of the wall actually shatter. Rusev grabs the gun! I am now watching a movie where Rusev is holding Dolph Ziggler at gunpoint. Dolph's like, I'm a cop, man. Rusev says, show me your badge. Of course, you'll recall the chick from Internal Affairs took Dolph Ziggler's police badge. So what is a Dolph Ziggler to do? Oh my God in heaven. Dolph Ziggler, the cop, puts his gun away 
and hits Rusev with the sweet chin music, complete with the thigh slap. <laughs> he grabs the gun, runs away, smash cut, the camera moves over slightly to see Lana, WWE superstar Lana, watching this whole thing. She stares the camera in the face and with her accent says, Oh, <laughs> that's a real man. And the chase just continues. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Because Lana's backstage. But she chooses to spike the camera with her accent. And then is this a play? Wasn't there some storyline where Ziggler was fucking Lana instead of Rusev? And was this... I'm not going to investigate further. This is not a wrestling show. It just happens to cover a movie with wrestling in it. Now the chase continues. Suddenly we're back in the arena... And Brock Lesnar is here, jumping on the apron, summoning his pyro with Paul Heyman watching. First of all, what's Brock Lesnar doing at this house show? Okay, and the the ring skirt now reads WWE Network, and the arena looks a little bit bigger. I'm thinking we've got some stock footage here, people. Okay, the chase between Dolph and the gunman takes us to the, um, oh, what's it called? Uh the sky area of the arena, but as they're chasing one another, it's cut in with WWE wrestling footage. Suddenly, the chase is continuing. We cut back to the arena, and the opening pyro of the WWE Royal Rumble is going off. How do I know this? Because the camera is on the stage, and it says WWE Royal Rumble. The little WWE logo is in the corner. There's pyrotechnics everywhere. What the fuck is going on? We were at a house show. Now we're at the Royal Rumble. I mean, look. I understand you're saving money here by cross-cutting the chase with WWE footage to make it seem like they're happening in the same place at the same time. But it doesn't take a WWE fan to see that the camera is now on the entranceway and it looked different earlier. It was a house show. It was a black curtain with a tiny stage now we're at the rumble <sighs> as i mentioned though the chase goes to the catwalk okay the the catwalk above the arena i'm not going to make any jokes about wwe and the catwalk of arenas so just relax okay i am going to make jokes about the fact that you can see into the arena from the catwalk and the arena is empty there's no ring there's no fans there's no world wrestling entertainment stage <laughs> Just pick a better angle, guys, so this doesn't happen in your shot. Finally, the chase comes to an end, okay? The Russian dude is cornered. Dolph has a gun on him. He goes, stop. Stop right there. With all the conviction of a crossing guard, okay? They talk. They actually don't just shoot. They talk. In typical Batman villain fashion, the Russian scorpion's like, you know, we're not so different, you and I. We both understand loss. You took a life from me, and now I take life from you. He pulls out his cell phone. He's going to call the number to detonate the bomb. <laughs> Everybody's watching at this point. The internal affairs lady, other cops, they're in the skywalk, uh, sky area too. They can't really see what's going on. The guy has his hand on the phone to call the number. Dolph makes sure to yell, no, no, no before he executes him. Because, you know, that's that's the cop version of, it's coming right for us! 
You remember it's coming right for us from South Park. So, you know, that way if anyone is listening, you know, it at least sounds like Dolph was in immediate danger before he opened fire. Um, the Russian Scorpion is dead. Wow, that guy got taken out of the equation pretty easily and pretty quickly. Uh, what's, what's the movie going to do now? Is this thing over? Apparently not, because they uh, they rummage through the corpse. They find a bunch of cell phones on him, a bunch of tattoos. This dude's got more tattoos than the KG Beast, the dude from Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Julia shows up. She's pissed and out of breath, mind you. Where's her inhaler? Uh, she's like, well, where's the kid? You just killed the only guy that knows where the kid is. Thank goodness the killer has on a watch. Dolph takes the watch and... And we get a shot of the watch, and it's got the titular countdown or the titular 6 hour and 42 minutes, depending on which version of the movie you watch. Because remember, it's got an alternate title. So 6 hours and 42 minutes until this kid goes booyaka, booyaka, 619. Um, Dolph bails. Julia's like, where are you going? Am I reinstated? No. Am I under arrest? No. Then that's my own fucking business. Bow, Maverick Cop. Smash cut to Dolph Ziggler driving a truck. I mean a big truck. I don't believe Dolph Ziggler would drive a truck this big. Dolph Ziggler's more of a sports car guy. He's here to show the world. Come on, man. He's also listening to some new metal like it's 2002. And I swear to God, the lyrics of the song, I didn't catch all of it. But as he's driving with his sunglasses on, out to be a rebel maverick cop, the lyrics say, and I quote, I'm the man who does just what he wants to do. (laughs) You know, describing what's happening in the movie. I wish I could do this. I wish I could just have some random theme music to describe my actions. That gag's been done in everything else and other TV shows I can hear. I think How I Met Your Mother did it because I can hear Marshall doing it in my head where he's like, I'm walking to the bathroom. I don't care. I still want it. I would pay money to have my own daily theme music. Someone's tailing him, though. Luckily, Dolph Ziggler makes sure to drive past the same location multiple times due to bad editing. He slams on the brakes and gets rear-ended by the car. It's Julia from Internal Affairs. Oh, big fucking shock. You guys knew who was tailing him. (laughs) She runs up to the window after rear-ending him, I might add. Dolph rolls the window down, tilts his sunglasses down, and says, Hope you got insurance. Now, her retort isn't half bad. I hope you become a man someday. Can you guys smell the sexual tension here? Uh, But according to Julia, there's only five hours and 40 minutes left in the countdown. Dolph's like, okay, you want to save this kid or you want to report about it? I think the bigger question is, will they stop at any point during this film and waste valuable time in this child's life to fuck? Because, you know, it's at least got to end with a big kiss or something if they don't have time to fuck in the movie. We cut to a tattoo parlor. Dolph Ziggler kicks the door in, Maverick Cop, don't forget, and just starts beating on people mercilessly and handcuffing them. He's like, you know what, I don't care about hookers, any warrants you got, any meth you're cooking in the back, I just want you to tell me who this dead guy is. And he shows everybody uh, photographs of the dead Russian scorpion. Isn't that illegal to photograph a corpse or something like that? Anywho, he's like, who's this guy? Who's this guy? You know who this guy is? You know who this guy is? I'm going to show off. You know who this guy is? Maverick Cup. And (laughs) 
then with a dynamite line, come on, it's a tattoo shop, this guy's tattoo, somebody's got to know something. <laughs> like, I have tattoos, so any tattoo shop in the world just knows who I am because I have tattoos? Luckily, Frank is here. Now, who's Frank, you might ask? Well, I don't know who Frank is. But Dolph Ziggler walks up to a dude, he's handcuffed, and he's like, come on, Frank, you know how many things I've cleaned up for you? What's this tattoo mean, man? So I guess Dolph Ziggler is now admitting that he's a corrupt cop that's helped out Frank, the tattoo artist, in times of need, I suppose. But uh, Frank takes a look at the picture and says, those are gang tattoos. You see the snake around his neck? That means he's addicted to drugs, or he was addicted to drugs. Well, I didn't know that. I've learned something here. You see that mermaid? That means he's a rapist. Oh, or, or a child molester. <laughs> okay, fucking hell. So all those people that grew up watching The Little Mermaid have tattoos that accidentally identify themselves as rapists or child molesters. That sounds just crazy enough to be a Trump-esque conspiracy theory, so I'm going to go with it. Uh, they leave the tattoo parlor. Dolph's like, hey, Julia... You're pretty good in there for a girl. <laughs> like, that's an actual fucking thing. She's like, Ray, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why don't you believe in the system, Ray? He's like, all I know is there's five hours and nine minutes left. Julia's like, well, what do you want to do then? How, how are we going to cover so much ground? They make a plan. Dolph tells Julia to go downtown and talk to some immigrants. Okay. Dolph's like, I need to go see a man about a boat. Smash cut to a pool and a babe in a bikini at a pool while some kidsters are swimming. We see someone else is at this pool. It's Nikolai, the gun runner from earlier. Well, he sure did get out of jail pretty quickly. He's got a pup on his lap and he's just having himself a little Saturday watching this babe touch her boobs and put suntan lotion on it. I mean, hey, I get it, Nikolai. You just got out of jail. You see some boobs. I'm with you. I mean, I've never been in jail. I've seen boobs, but so I understand half of where you're coming from. All of a sudden, the camera is on Nikolai's face. Nikolai's just, like I said, having himself a Saturday and some goddamn piano wire come across Nikolai's neck and Nikolai's getting choked out. Like it's a wrestling match, except, you know, it's more dangerous because there's piano wire here. I half expected the camera to pull out and see some, like, Russian mobsters taking this dude out. Who do you think's choking this man with some piano wire? Well, that's Maverick Cop Dolph Ziggler. He's like, hey, Nikolai, uh, here I was thinking the system worked, man. What do you know about this kid that got kidnapped? You better tell me or so help me God, I'm going to choke you out, bro. And this guy's like, oh, I thought you were show off, not Maverick Cop. And Dolph's like, you know what? I'm a show off and a Maverick Cop. Nikolai, uh, based on the explosives that Dolph is looking for, lets him know that there is a guy in the Russian military who might know something about these explosives. But this guy's at the Russian consulate downtown. Dolph's like, huh, thanks. Stops choking him with the piano wire and goes to leave. Smash cut to the bikini babe holding a fucking hand cannon and shooting at Dolph. Dolph Ziggler scurries away. And when I say scurries, I mean he fucking scurries away into the woods to safety, fleeing the scene. Wow, so many laws broken here by Maverick Cop Dolph Ziggler. There's a great moment after Dolph scurries away where Nikolai goes to the babe and he's like, Put the gun away, put the gun away. 
a bunch of neighborhood kids come to the backyard, and they're like, what's going on? Nikolai's like, it's okay, it's Bear. She's shooting at Bear. Go play your video games. <laughs> Which is just ridiculous enough to work. Uh, we go to Julia now. She's downtown trying to get some information. Some street Russians... <laughs> that sounds awful. I don't mean it to be awful. But she shows the picture to some Russian ladies. And the Russian ladies recognize the kid. They take care to this uh, rundown sort of apartment uh tenant complex that looks like it might be Arkham Asylum on the weekends. Uh, They lead Julia to a gentleman named Boris. Boris is the dad of this child who's been kidnapped. Anatoly is the kid's name. Apparently, the Russian Scorpion... Now, follow me here. This is what Julia learns. Boris is the dad. Boris hired the Russian Scorpion to take the kid to Russia... So the kid could see his grandma. However, the Russian scorpion decided to take the kid and, you know, uh, pull these shenanigans with him. All of a sudden, the landlord of this tenement barges in and he's like, I'm tired of you cops harassing my tenants without a warrant. Which actually, okay, I could get behind that. But Julia's just yelling at him. They're yell fighting back and forth. And if these fuckers would just sit down and talk like adults, we could get this thing all cleared up. Because she's not here to harass. She's here to help. But I, I I don't know what to fucking tell you. Uh, we learned the name of the dead guy, the Russian scorpion, was Pavel. And uh, like I said, he lived in the building as well, and he was supposed to take the kid to Russia. Meanwhile, downtown Seattle at the Russian consulate, we smash cut to inside the building. Dolph is walking through the metal detector at the Russian consulate, mind you. Okay. Of course the metal detector goes off. Dolph starts an international incident in your house by attacking all the Russian guards, pistol whipping them, mind you. Dolph continues his pursuit of this military Russian guy. We get a weird moment where a guy in a suit attacks Dolph. Dolph chokes this guy with a pipe, and then we just cut to Dolph walking down a hallway. Like, there's no resolution. There's still some struggle happening as we're cutting. It's not like the fight was decided. Dolph knocked the guy out, and now we can cut to Dolph walking. It's mid-choke we cut to Dolph walking. Dolph grabs a statue of of a dude's face, beats the shit out of a big Russian bodyguard, and finds the dude he's looking for. The explosives guy, if you will. This explosives guy stands up gets right in Dolph Ziggler's face and has the balls in an action movie to say I have diplomatic immunity mother fucker you can't just ape lethal weapon 2 okay you can't it should be illegal for any action movies to pull diplomatic immunity at this point it's been done you can't do it maybe in a hundred more years you can do diplomatic immunity in in a cheap action movie but not here How does Dolph respond to this gentleman's diplomatic immunity? Well, of course. He stabs him in the thigh with a pen. Looks him dead in the eye and says, Funny, you don't look immune. Maverick cop Dolph Ziggler, ladies and gentlemen. I will admit, though, his one-liners are getting quite infectious. Dolph lays it all on the line for Mr. Diplomatic Immunity. He's all like, Hey, dude, I gotta be honest with you. Nikolai sold you out. And, uh, you know, I think you should feel bad that this guy is making a bomb that's going to kill a kid. 
diplomatic immunity considers this. He's like, well, I'll tell you what, Dolph Ziggler, officially, he's, he actually says, officially, I know nothing. Then he takes a pause. Dolph uses this opportunity to slam his face into the ground and says, how about unofficially? Now, this one is all the bad guy's fault because he left Dolph hanging. He should have finished his thought. But you know, these movie bad guys, they aren't exactly thinking about how quip opportunities can negatively affect their mental and physical well-being in this case. He's like, the bomb maker, the bomb maker, he did it. He's leaving in three months. Dolph then exits the room with diplomatic immunity guy as a hostage. He seriously is holding him at gunpoint. And, and all these random Russian security guards are, you know, pointing guns back at him. He's like, hey, man, I just want to get out of here alive, okay? You just help your boss. I just want to get out of here. Like, he's reverse hostage negotiating. Dolph then uses this man as a human shield, as a Russian trooper, shoots at Dolph. And Dolph's like, I'll just turn you this way, innocent guy. Ba-boom. This dude takes it in the gut. Diplomatic immunity is bleeding out, folks. He's, he puts him down. He's like, all right, guys, I'll tell you what. You just take care of your boss. I'm going to leave. And he leaves. He just runs away. Uh, he heads downtown to meet up with Julia, fleeing from this active crime scene. Now, Julia, she's back downtown. And, and I'm noticing she's inching ever so closer to sounding like Tara Reed with each cigarette. I'm assuming she smokes in between takes. Uh, the landlord, the creepy, crummy landlord from earlier, lets us into Pavel's room and offers to uh, sell these guys anything that they find there. So that's nice, I suppose. Our heroes find uh, typical crazy bad guy stuff. They find uh, journals full of notes, a uh, deportation notice, an application for political asylum. Okay, maybe not everything you typically find in a mad at a bad guy's house, but still, the journals are a dead bad guy giveaway. We also see newspaper clippings from the local area, including a picture of Dolph Ziggler and some sort of hero cop makes big bust. It's a picture of Dolph in a full nerdy cop outfit with the hat and everything standing in front of a giant American flag. I can't, I can't even with this. It's fucking brilliant and how awful it knows it is. He also has Dolph's kid's obituary. Now, Dolph is thrown by this, but continues forward. He wants to see what's in the basement. Uh, you know, and I'm spending about as much time on it as the movie is, so, you know, whatever. Don't blame me. After, like, ten seconds in the basement, Dolph is like, all right, I don't see him. I'm bored. Let's go. And the Julia character is forced to be like, Dolph, we have to actually look. They continue to look. The scene lasts 30 more seconds. Like, you get 30 more seconds of them just looking. Now, What's cool about making a movie, guys, is you actually control when the movie cuts away, so you don't actually have to show this. You could choose to show something more entertaining that leads somewhere as opposed to the unnecessary search that they continue because you're the filmmaker. You could decide if something's down there or if something isn't there. That's what's cool about making the movie. <sighs> Anywho, after these extra 30 seconds, we smash cut to them in an alley. Uh, they're doing a walk and talk. They're going to go meet this bomb maker. But, oh, no. In the alley, Dolph notices that something is missing. His truck from earlier with the new metal is gone. He's like, oh, come on, man. That's a $40,000 truck. Nobody saw anything. And I'm like, bitch, you have broken local, state, federal, 
And now international laws all within like a two-hour time frame. If you losing a $40,000 truck is all you suffer for this, you are getting off light times a thousand, dude. So, you know, see this as a good thing. This is your rite of passage, Dolph. This is the penance you must pay. Um, Luckily, though, Julia's car is there. And it's a good thing they take Julia's car because it's got a super police computer in it. And as they're driving to meet the bomb maker... Dolph's like hacking the net, getting addresses and putting in database query requests and all types of stuff. And he's doing all this one-handed, just hacking the net. And he's got his foot up on the dashboard as Julia's driving. Dolph, man, you're just such a maverick cop. I mean, the foot's up on the dash. What's next? Are you going to smack her ass as you walk into the bomb maker's house? I mean, anything can happen. He's a maverick cop. Uh, We do arrive at the bomb maker's house, and he's just casually making a bomb. Uh, The heroes let themselves into this house. Now, they don't encounter the bomb maker right away. The first thing they find is a woman casually chopping what has to be the biggest head of lettuce I've ever seen. She flippantly points out that the bomb maker is in the other room. (laughs) But wait, guys, please, don't don't go into the other room. Lettuce Lady here is an entire movie. I want to know her story. Dolph and Julia don't listen. They enter the next room. But, as opposed to a bomb maker, they find three babes just casually painting their nails. The babes, however, do point into a different room. And now now this thing's just taking a walk from comical into the absurd. Like, what is this? Finally, in room number three, the bomb maker is here. We see him. We see the big full reveal. He's just casually sitting here making a bomb. He does introduce himself to our heroes. Slava. Just Slava. No last name, like Usher or Beyonce. Well, holy shit, Slava, with quips like that, this dude's going to be a fucking cornerstone of the MCU in no time. Slava then hits on Julia, as apparently most men in this world do. It turns out that Slava just got off the phone with diplomatic immunity. Diplomatic immunity wants uh, Slava to blow up Ray and mail him back to him in pieces. But Slava says, you know, I don't like diplomatic immunity guy. Because diplomatic immunity guy was appointed to his position by Putin and is Russian. Slava is Ukrainian. I totally get it. No more, no more needs to be said. Slava says he makes bombs for lots of people. He does recognize the photo of the bomb they show him, though. And he gleefully talks about this bomb as as if it's one of his own children. It's quite comical. Julia, however, is unamused about this, and she pulls out her gun. Slava's like, well, I want to help, but that's all I know. I already told you everything you wanted to hear. However, much like a video game NPC, if you ask just enough times... He offers one final piece of helpful information at the end of this thing. He tells us how we can disarm the bomb, even though he doesn't know where to find the bomb. He then adds, and hey, if it make you co- makes you cops feel any better, I never cashed the check the guy gave me to make the bomb. Record scratch. Two things. One. Uh, Slavo tells them uh, that when you take the bomb off, you have to immobilize the latch before you remove it. I just wanted to get that really important piece of information out there. But two, who writes a check for a bomb? 
Okay, fuck, it's three. Three. Who accepts a check for bomb payments? Anyway, we're all done here. However, on the way back from the bomb maker's house, bald HBK and some uniformed police officers arrive. They let Dolph know that Captain Kane would like to see him in his office pronto. Dolph's like, sorry, bro, maverick cop. (laughs) So bald HBK straight up maces Dolph Ziggler and Julia from Eternal Affairs. Did Vince Russo write this part of the script? Uh, They handcuffed Dolph. They beat him with a nightstick. This is actually probably my favorite part of the whole movie. And Dolph is off to see the big red captain. Unfortunately, we do see Kane, but he's just watching Dolph on a tiny TV back at the police station. Bald HBK is interrogating Dolph. Apparently, they found a, like, 1999 cell phone in Dolph Ziggler's desk and information about a P.O. box? Hmm, this is getting interesting. And it looks like Dolph is actually been making phone calls. Making phone calls to the bomber from the cell phone. Hmm. Now bald HBK wants to talk about August 7th. Three years ago. The day Mikey was killed. He flashes a new piece of information up on the wall to show Dolph. It's a newspaper. Another one. This headline reads, Judge Rule City has no liability in boy's death. Oh, I know. You know what? I want to read that like a newsy. A headline reads, Judge Rule City has no liability in boy's death. You see, Mikey, being Dolph's son, got himself killed three years ago to this very day at what bald HBK calls a homicide division picnic. Folks, I understand work get-togethers. I like a lot of the people I work with. I hope they like me. However, if I'm in a homicide division, I don't know that I advertise an event as the annual homicide division picnic. Perhaps police officer's picnic. Upper Seattle, North Side, District 5, Division picnic. I mean, seriously, make something up. Anyway, it seems like Mikey was playing football in the street. What are you doing letting him play football in the street, Dolph? Oh, you're letting him show the world. I get it. His, his, you're letting him show the world his, his, his football talents. I understand. And a drunk cop who was at the homicide division picnic ran over Mikey. Now, I'm not laughing if this, you know, I'm Fuck it, it's a goddamn movie. Yes, I am laughing at this. It's so... Oh, I don't know. It's just... It's just strange turns. Like, anywho. But the reason this is brought up here is that Bald HBK thinks the next part of this story is evidence for why Dolph may have been planning this whole bombing thing in conjunction with the Mad Bomber. You see, Dolph sued the city for $2 million. Well, that takes care of the $2 million that the bomber wanted. And and he didn't win, by the way. Because, much like the news he told us, Judge Rule said he has no liability and boy's death. Extra, extra. Kid killed by throwing quarter touchdown. (laughs) It's it's not funny. That's awful. Um, And then to top it all off, icing on the cake, Dolph's wife, who we saw hold his hand earlier, left him for another cop. Don't cry, Dolph. I won't leave you for a cop. Okay, I will, but I'll hold your hand. 
Sorry, that's that Harley Quinn song. It got stuck in my head there when I said hold his hand. Uh, like I said, we talked about the phone calls. Uh, this is not looking good for the Dolphster. However, Julia is back in her car, and she gets an off-camera voicemail from when Dolph was hacking the net earlier, making database queries. It uh, turns out a search came up in this database query that Dolph hacked the net, and Julia has all the information on her voicemail. Ironically, though, the voicemail tells her to check her email, so Julia rushes to check her email. <laughs> Can you rush a little harder, please? I'm in prison being interrogated by a bald, heartbreak kid. Anywho, the database search did give them information on uh, Pavel, who's the bomber they've been looking into. But it's not Vlad Pavel, which is the bomber that they killed. It's Igor Pavel. Well, who's this? It turns out Igor Pavel was arrested by Dolph a couple years ago when we saw Dolph in the American flag headline for, like, insurance fraud or some shit. Okay, so keep that in your back pocket. Bald HBK is now desperately trying to get a confession from Dolph. However, Dolph slams uh, the man's skull against the desk of which he was being interrogated on. Why was Dolph not in handcuffs? Anywho, Kane sees this shit go down on his tidy TV and he gets out of his chair and he limps into action because Kane is having some struggles here moving around. It's kind of Andre the Giant-esque, to be honest with you. Cut to Dolph running down an escalator, escaping from the police. However, this cannot be undersold. As he's running down the escalator, some completely uninterested cop, who's like the worst extra ever, yells, He's right there. Fourth floor. Center stairwell. Sure enough, Someone responds to this man's meek instructions about the location of Dolph Ziggler, and uh, Dolph just starts fighting cops here in the police station. Now, this first cop, I will say, in a pretty boss moment, he wins the battle by handcuffing the cop to a railing using the cop's own handcuffs against him. And there's a great stuntman moment, soon to be followed by a bad one, but first the great. There's a great stuntman moment as Dolph runs away. You see the cop that's now attached to the railing, try to chase after Dolph. And this dude just gets pulled right down by the handcuffs. It's it's pretty fun to see, actually. And then, it happens. The worst stunt in the history of our sport. Dolph is cornered. He goes to a ledge. He jumps off the ledge. We get a shot of Dolph jumping. The camera is underneath him. It's a tremendous shot of Dolph's stunt double. Seriously, this stunt double looks more like Kane than Dolph Ziggler. And like I said, the camera is underneath him, and Dolph's stunt double falls towards the camera. We then cut to real Dolph, standing safely on the steps of which he just landed. It looks like, though, he just stood up. Not he just landed from, like, three stories. It turns out Dolph Ziggler is indeed just standing up. And the camera zooms out to make it look like Dolph just landed. One of the worst stunts and one of the absolute worst edits I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of movies. Dolph gets into a couple of quick fights. And then finally, Kane catches up with the show off. Kane goozles Dolph. Dolph's like, I'm sorry. And then hits Kane with a low blow. 
they booked their own fight, right? <sighs> However, the pursuit is is it's not worthwhile because Dolph is finally in a dead end situation. He's cornered on both sides by cops. Kane has a shotgun. He shoots Dolph Ziggler, but it just shoots out those police beanbag things. <laughs> At first, I didn't know it was loaded with that shit. He just opens fire, and I'm like, God damn, Kane. Dolph eats like four of these beanbags and then notices, hmm, there is a gentleman who's been brought in by the city of Seattle to wash the windows. And he's all the way up here on the fourth floor. I don't know how we got back up to the fourth floor, but we certainly did. And uh, Dolph's like, that guy might be a window washer, but to me, he's my way out. He jumps on this window washer, who comically is like, ah, help, help! He rips the cord that this window washer is attached to. They slide all the way down to the ground floor, and Dolph takes off. I guess you could call it a clean getaway. I'll see myself out now. Uh, Julia catches up with Dolph, and they drive away. She's ready to wrap the entire plot up in a bow. So let me try. The guy with the bomb was Vlad Pavel. The guy Dolph arrested for insurance was Igor Pavel. They're brothers of destruction. When Igor got arrested for the insurance fraud, he was deported. And America took the $112.35 that was in his pocket and sent him on his way. When he got back to Russia, he got hung because he was a killer. Okay. Well, I guess it's a good thing he got deported then. So, the guy we killed in Act 1 was his brother, who's the one who was out for revenge. But here's the problem. We killed him in Act 1. So, what's it matter? We're just looking for the kid now. It doesn't matter why this all happened. That's what's so weird about this movie. I guess you could say that's the risk it takes. But in the end, it's like the big mystery is revealed and nobody kills. So, to wrap it all up, the $112.35 and $2 million that this guy wanted was what uh, Dolph tried to sue the city for and uh, what the guy had in his pocket when he got deported. So it's like done in a way to make Dolph look like he's guilty. But then that $112.35 is a blood, uh, blood fucking debt or whatever he calls it. But again, we killed the guy already, so it doesn't matter. We're just looking for the kid. And hey, why did Kane act like he knew something about the $112.35 back in Act 1? I'm pissed. I thought for sure Kane was going to be one of the bad guys, and I'm dis disappointed. Finally, after all this information, Dolph chimes in with some really bad ADR. And he's like, we need to follow that paycheck. Maybe the kid is there. So they go to the woods where there's some, like, logging slash storage area. Uh... The guy that owns the place is like, hey, you can't be here. It's a restricted area. So they show him a picture of the dead bomber from Act 1. And the guy that owns this place looks at the picture and legitimately is like, oh, shit. It's Vlad. Dolph's like, oh, so he works here? The dude takes a beat and bitchily says to Dolph, well, judging from the hole in his head, I guess he doesn't work here anymore. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. <laughs> I guess Vlad was the night watchman here. Dolph's like, oh, awesome. So so he knows this place inside and out. I bet he would hide something here. Can you show me all the places that he could have hid something here? The owner, once again, unleashes the sassiness and is like, well, how much time you got? 
Dolph legitimately checks his watch and says, 43 minutes and 22 seconds. I think it was a rhetorical question, Dolph. <sighs> the owner sends them on their way to look around. Uh, his name is revealed as Blake. Blake, after our heroes leave the scene, then calls someone and is like, Dude, they're here. Oh, come on, Blake. You betrayed our heroes. And I was really starting to enjoy your sassy yet likable personality. Dolph and Julia look in this place. They can't find a goddamn thing. She bails to call for backup. Classic split-up mistake. Julia gets to her car, and I guess she has fucking closed-circuit TV installed that's running and broadcasting footage from months ago. She sees something. I don't know what it is, because the movie's not ready to tell me. She yells for Dolph. A lot. She yells so much that she has to take her inhaler. So that's two times we've seen her use her inhaler. Now, Hitchcock said you have to show your audience something three times so they know it's important. So let's keep an eye out for that third. They speed away from this place. Uh, The video that Julia's been watching is of Vlad, the dead bomber, working as a janitor all the way back at the police station. And she now also has information about some bullshit about how Vlad used servers to frame Dolph. Well, thank you for wrapping that up in a bow. We were all hanging on pins and needles wondering if Dolph was really the bad guy. However, another wrinkle added to this as they're trying to drive back to the police station to just rescue this poor child. Uh, Nikolai! From the beginning, you know, the joker that looks like a plant that got choked with piano wire that hangs out with the blonde babe with the hand cannon that told the kids, go play your video games. That guy's back. We get some car chasing here, and it is bad. It's filmed at like 10 miles per hour. I know you got to be safe, but you can use your camera to trick your audience. There's some really bad Dolph Ziggler ADR when he says things like, watch out, they're on the right. Watch out. Careful. It's seriously maybe the worst film chase in history because it doesn't even have, like, kitsch value to it. It culminates when our heroes hit a dead end and the bad guys just get out of their cars and grab Dolph and Julia and put them in the back of the SUV with Nikolai with their hands zip-tied. I don't know what else to tell you. So, Nikolai has the upper hand. Our heroes are in the SUV with three bad guys, Nikolai included, up in the front. And Dolph starts monologuing. So maybe Dolph is the bad guy. He's like, today's the day my son died three years ago. And I was three or four seconds late to save him. And I swore on his grave to never be late again. It actually sounds like the origin of a decently, uh, you know, interesting superhero named Watchman, to be honest with you. Seriously, he keeps monologuing about time. I wonder if he'll save the kid with like three or four seconds left at the end. Eventually, he quits monologuing and kicks Nikolai in the face. This leads to some scattered gunfire. Everybody ends up dead, except Nikolai and our heroes. Nikolai decides to just jump out of the car and get in the one that's behind him. Uh, Julia kicks the driver out that's dead, and all of a sudden, we've got another car chase. Um... They do some car foo. They run into each other. Hey, the guy driving Nikolai's car is the bearded goon from the beginning that kind of looked like, uh, oh, fuck, what's his name? Luke Harper. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Luke Harper. Um, Nikolai decides to end this chase once and for all. He pulls a grenade out of the glove box, but wouldn't you know he drops it and the bad guys explode in their car. It's a very weak explosion and Dolph's car just zooms away to safety. It's really bad. Back at the police office now, because it's just one of the four locations that we've secured a shooting permit for, I suppose. And Watchman is here to race against time, that being Dolph Ziggler, of course. Turns out the kid was in the boiler room the whole time. Dolph finds him, just lifts him up, not worried about the bomb at all. They see Kane. Kane's like, I'll help you get the building clear. They wait for an elevator to clear out. They take the elevator up to the sixth floor. Uh, they take the kid to the crime lab lady from earlier in Act 1 that helped out with the letter. She legit just hands Dolph a case of liquid nitrogen like it's Metal Gear Solid fucking 2. She's like, freeze the bomb, man. I'm out of here. Dolph freezes the bomb. He gets a call on his codec from Stillman, and Stillman's like, Snake. You disabled the bomb, but where's Fat Man? Oh, I'm sorry, that's actually Metal Gear Solid 2. Dolph Ziggler takes the bomb off the kid after it's frozen, takes the vest off, helps the kid get out of his leggings. Dolph just runs away, holding the kid in his arms. We then cut to the outside, and we see a shot of the police officers evacuating the building. And the building that I've spoken about in great detail and with much love looks really weird here. Oh, that's why. The the floor that they were on explodes. So it's just really shitty CGI because after the explosion flames fade away, you can see the building's just perfectly fine right behind it. Very, very fake building. Very, very fake building. Very bad. Very poor building. This thing is... I'm done with this movie. We smash cut to some police lights and some Nickelback-esque victory music. Dolph emerges from the police station holding the kid and gets some light applause from onlookers. He hands the kid to the first fucking person he sees. So much for the allegory about Dolph rescuing his own child. That's completely thrown by the wayside. He gets a handshake from Kane, a platonic ass-out hug from Julia. Bald HBK is like, Hey, Dolph, it's pretty interesting. You knew exactly where the kid was hidden. Dolph just winds up and punches him in the skull. Then, in classic Maverick Cop fashion, Dolph Ziggler walks away from the police station without looking back. There's a goddamn freeze frame, and the Nickelback song's like, Remember yesterday! Yeah! Directed by John Stockton, or fucking whatever the guy's name is. Unbelievable. With the freeze frame and the Maverick Cop walk away. If his fist would have been in the air, I may have declared it the greatest film of all time. Wow. So, I guess, at the end of the day, there's only one question to ask. Is this movie junk? I'm 70-30 about it. Like, honestly, and, and it's probably aided by the fact that I am a wrestling fan, the first 40% of this movie is carried hard by the fact that you're actually seeing Dolph Ziggler do this stupid renegade cop shit for real. You're like, oh my god, I'm actually watching the Dolph Ziggler movie. You know what I mean? And then, after that wears off, and you're no longer like, 
into the ridiculousness of what you're actually watching. After that wears off, the next thing you know, they're at the WWE show, and that really carries it far. The back half of the movie is going to rest upon your entertainment and relationship to bad filmmaking and really cheesy movie cliche shit. If you're into bad movies, I think this movie is right up your alley. And so I would say it's not junk. Oh, no, excuse me. I would say it is junk, but it's absolutely the junk that you want at 2 in the morning after you've been drinking all night. This movie is Taco Bell for people that love bad movies. If you're just a regular person, this movie's so bad, you might not even get it. I don't know what else to tell you. Like, I feel like this movie is so generic and bland that even pe- the people that aren't aware it's a really bad movie might watch it and be like, I don't know, I thought it was fine, it was kind of dumb, but whatever, I don't know. And I think that's the worst part for everybody else, is it's kind of like they don't see how bad it is so know that going in if you're going to commit to watching this you need to be the type of person that likes bad shit so there you go it's junk but it's the good junk i think that's where i'm gonna leave this one (sighs) but fans don't leave us here on the new tnn make sure you subscribe to the feed so you get notified whenever new content drops let us know. Hit us up on Twitter at the Johnny C. What you think about the junk man concept? Should we keep going? Let us know. Maybe throw out a couple suggestions for things you'd like us to talk about. Ah, but whatever happens, please promise me, much like Dolph Ziggler was told by not Nickelback, remember yesterday. I'm Johnny C. A winner is you. And we are pop!